a Podcast One production. Questions. Adam Spencer with you. How are you going on this episode of The Big Questions? We sit down with one of Australia's most famous radio broadcasters, authors, comedians, Matt O'Kine. I ask him what it means to be an O'Kine. And the big question, how do you write a joke? He's also a man of the people. Because I sent him a quick message checking on what time we were going to meet up here at the Podcast One studios for our chat. And he sent back, no trouble. Just hopped on the bus. Is that really how you roll with all the fame? <laughs> Mate. You haven't changed, Matt O'Kine. Environmentally better. Yeah. Um, I think everyone should be catching the bus. Really? Oh, I love the bus. Gives me time to think. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I genuinely, genuinely love the bus. Keeps money in my pocket. Gives me time to think. Also reconnects me with the plebs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, how am I supposed to relate? Sure. To just your average normie, yeah, without you know at least sinking down to their level every now and because then. Because you can you can do your stand up about I was in Woolworths the other day. <laughs> no, you <laughs> you sent someone down. They brought it back. I was on the fourth level of my uh, you know degas, um, and yeah, the matching sake didn't uh, really have the zing that I thought it should. That's my material these days. Yeah, have you ever noticed when your virtual reality home golf set and, and you're playing Augusta, there's no way the 14th is like that. Are you with me? Um, yeah. I Actually, I mean, that, that was part of the reason, not, not entirely the reason, but certainly part of the reason why I felt like it was time to hang up the, the headphones at Triple J. Really? Well, I mean, there was a whole gamut of reasons. I mean, in the, in the sense that, you know, it's... I was, I'm also getting older, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and I remember, like, what, for instance, one day, I was, you know, I was having a laugh with Alex about something on the radio, and then uh, afterwards, boss calls me in and says, yeah, you know, that was really funny and stuff, but um, you just got to realise, Matt, that most of our audience haven't played Street Fighter 2 <laughs> <laughs> on Sega Mega Drive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like they were born yep. five years after that was released. Yep. So... Do you know anything about Fortnite? And I was like, what's Fortnite? Do you know anything about Halo? And I'm like, I know about Street Fighter 2. <laughs> and they were like, you know, just just think about your references. And when I when that when it started happening, I was like, you know what? You know, uh, maybe it is time to just to move forward. We'll get to the Jays because it was an incredible time for the station totally. and for you. Let's go back oh, for bef- me. before that. Matt O'Kine. What, what O'Kine? Where's O'Kine? come from? Um, not a surname I'd ever heard of before meeting your good self. You know, it's not a surname that my dad had ever heard of really? before either. I mean, this is classic uh, 1970s Australia. Dad came from Ghana mm-hmm. um, when he was about 23 years old. His family name is Okan, O-K-A-N. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, I, think there's a, I think there's a character that is replaced at the N, which is kind of like an NG character. Mm-hmm. It's, it's only one in Ga. Is Ga the alphabet of Ghana. Ga is one of several different tribes or groups in Ghana. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, Ga Ga is is one group. From what I understand, they're not necessarily the indigenous group of Ghana. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that there was, you know, a mass migration uh, earlier on, fifteen hundreds, fourteen hundreds, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, Ga is what my dad uh, speaks. Um, he moved to Australia as, as Okan, yeah, Mr. O- Mr. Okan, which, which is the third-born son or the third son within his family. Uh, so it's interesting that there are, from my limited understanding, there are a lot of African cultures where names will attach to birth, either where you sit in the family or days of the week, and so like Kwame, yeah means man born on Friday, Friday and things yeah. like Yeah, I find that fascinating. It was. I mean, and now that I've had just had a child, so, um, you know, when we're looking at names for our daughter, that was certainly part of that process. Um, so my middle name is Ajete, which is the firstborn, the name you give to the firstborn son. My sister's name, uh, middle name is Ajele, which is uh, the name you give to the firstborn daughter. Wow. So it goes in, in stages so... Um, the firstborn son on my dad's level, my dad is Okan, which is the, which is thirdborn son, but the firstborn son, um, which is, you know, his brother would be called Ajay, 
and he he would have a son, and his firstborn son would then be called Ajete, and which you know was me. That's our level of the family. And then the next one down, if I had had a son, his name would be Ajay again. And if uh, well, because I had a daughter, her middle name is Achwe. So that's how that all works out. So if a group of you got together by comparing middle names, you could sort of recreate the family well, tree to an extent or it get very confusing after a while. You get It does get a bit confusing because there's like, you know, you'll be on a street and someone will be like, Ajete! and then there's like 10 people can turn around, you know, because there's 10 <laughs> firstborn sons like just standing on the side of the street. Yeah, so if, if you walked into a schoolyard in Sydney and screamed out, only child. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly right. So, so you've got to, um, you've got to. Mistake. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just hands popping up everywhere. Um, so you've got to kind of add a little um, attachment to the name. Mm. So I would be Ajete Australia because I'm the Ajete that was born in Australia uh-huh. and grew up in Australia. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, if where everyone grew up in the same place, you might do it in size. So I've got a cousin called Small uh, or Bibio, which is in Small in Gar, which means he's Ajete, but he's Small Ajete. So Ajete Bibio. And so it goes wow. like that. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the nickname for our daughter, Chue, or, you know, Sophia is her name, but uh, Chue is a technically Ghanaian name, but we called her BBO from the beginning because she is just a little tiny. Little Sophia. at this stage. Beautiful. Yeah. But, but your dad changed his surname? Yeah. Classic, classic uh, you know, as a lot of migrants did uh, or immigrants. I never know when to, you know, it seems like white people are migrants. Brown people are immigrants. Is there much of a? <laughs> is there much of a difference? Honestly, I don't actually know the yeah. the exact yeah. difference, right? Anyways, as immigrants did back in the day, um, you know, anglicising a name. So I think there was that thing of like, oh, if I put an, you know, make it instead of Okan, Okine, mm. we can trick people into thinking we're <laughs> Irish, which we successfully did, including my own grandmother who used to write. Um, <laughs> birthday cards to me every year um, and she would apostrophize, apostrophize or whatever that word is, um, my last name. So oh, put really? O apostrophe K-I-N-E. Oh, oh clean. <laughs> uh, the good old Irish spelling. Yeah, it's <laughs> harking back to my uh, Irish roots there. Thanks, Grandma. <laughs> yeah, Ghana in the very, very south of Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's that's what what happened. And then, yeah, Dad, Dad changed it to a kind. Because so. yeah, there's a reasonable sized Ghanaian diaspora. In Australia, there's there's mm. there's there's, there's a, it's a country that there's there's been a reasonable degree of immigration from over the years. Totally, hasn't it? totally, and there wasn't always. That's happened certainly over the last ten years, without a doubt. Um, it's been definitely more gradual. My dad wasn't exactly the first guy to come over here, but he was in the you know first wave. Okay. For certainly. Why did I mean, he come? Well, so he got a um, scholarship. To, but from the Ghanaian government to study dentistry somewhere in the world. Oh. And uh, he had a choice of four places, UK, Canada, US and Australia. He chose Australia because it was um, coming into the start of their semester first, but if he had went to any of the others in the Northern Hemisphere, they, he would have to wait till the start of their semester, which would be six months. Now, in a place like Ghana, when the government offers you something like this, take it. you take it <laughs> and you just, you just take it and run. And then, you know, he had to go back to, to put the, the work to good use back in Ghana for a while where him, him and my mum lived, but then he uh, ended up moving back here. Right. I don't know whether he, I think he said he always wanted to be a pilot growing up, but then this sort of ended up, you know, he ended up becoming a dentist and he landed in Townsville where he started his degree. I uh, got caught up and there was a big hurricane there, he says. He, um... Ended up living in Ingham for a while, then moved down to Brisbane, worked, uh, you know, on on the dental train that was going through regional... The dental train. Queensland. Oh, you would have seen a few things on a Queensland dental train (laughs) in the 1970s. Um, Yeah, worked in Gympie Hospital and then started working in all the school dental vans. When I was growing up, that's what he was doing all around Brisbane, doing the school vans. There's something about my dad and... Doing dentistry on the move. On the road. <laughs> he, loves, he loves just being mobile Get and in town, fixing teeth. Teach kids to floss, <laughs> move on. Yeah, exactly. And, and so growing up, you, 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 you've written a great book, a sort of coming of age book, Being Black and Chicken and Chips, and it captures that sort of age in a young boy about to become a man's life where it's all a bit unclear. And, yeah. and, and, and does that reflect 
where you were at at that stage in your life? You come across now as a very confident, funny guy, um, really honest, kicking some big goals. What was the trajectory to getting you to say the Jays? So, I mean, the, the the premise of the book and the plot of the book really revolves around a 12-year-old boy who's trying to start high school while his mum dies of cancer, mm. right? So... Uh, in a sense that it is it is biographical in that capacity because that is what happened to me. Um, there's a lot of stuff that happens around the book that's obviously just plot driven and and you know you get to have fun with it, um, embellishing the reality of the, of you know of the, the real life situation. I mean that my mum dying in that you know being 12 years old was certainly a pivotal moment. Um, which actually did start me off on this trajectory. Hmm. It's interesting how uh, life events like that make you realise even at the age of 12 that there's no point in messing around with your life and trying to make Mm. other people happy. Um, I think I knew that. It took me about a year after she died before I finally made those decisions but I remember still at very young age to be thinking well, about life in those sort of terms. Yeah, but then you start realizing that you know you're, you you know you, you then you go into choosing st- subjects at school and you think oh well I better do physics and I better do this because that's what smart people do and suddenly you realize like well what am I doing I don't, this isn't not what I want to do mm. and there's no point in trying to make other people happy so I'm just going to do the things that I wanted to do which was all the performance based stuff so that's really where it mm. started I'd always wanted to be a comedian or you know, an actor, but you know, when, you, when you're that young, you don't know how to do any of that stuff. Quick sidebar, kids. Yeah. If, you do, if you do like physics, rip in. <laughs> Go for it. Don't let this super successful TV star talk you out of it. Mate, but- well, I wanted to be, I want, look, I did want to make, I wanted to be a pyrotechnician. That's why I wanted to do ah. physics and, oh, you know, it's more chemistry, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> See, I mean, I, no one tells you how to be a pyrotechnician yeah. at school. Why don't they teach you... To enrol in the right subjects. I failed physics, though, you know, and then you yeah. start going, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. I'm just trying to please other people. I'm not happy. I'm not liking it. And the reason why I'm failing is because I'm, I'm just, I'm not, I don't care. When you were performing, was was the humour a natural part of performance? Was it, were you always naturally bubbly, effervescent, bit of a smart-ass yeah, type? Yeah, definitely. And the angle into comedy always happened because, one, I loved stand-up comedy. I mean, you look through TV Guide and suddenly it's it's like, you know, when the Melbourne Comedy Festival was on, that's just the, the favourite week of the year, you get to watch that and joke, make all the jokes with your friends at school. Um, but then I decided to actually take that road in um, uh, 2004 when I was started doing an acting degree, Queensland, QUT, and a Bachelor of Fine Arts, and they did a stand-up comedy course, and I decided to enrol in raw comedy. Yeah. Yep. So uh, first ever gig, just... Raw as anything, absolutely mm. green, came out making jokes about, you know, being a world vision kid, uh, oh, this is my, <laughs> I mean, you know, I was, yeah. you know you're 19 years yeah. old. I was 18 actually at the time. You know, I mean, you cringe at all the old jokes, uh, you know, uh, you know, saying I'm, 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 I'm half black but Asian from the waist down. I mean, I'm not, oh. I'm not saying that they're, <laughs> I'm not saying that they're appropriate. This is just what I was doing at 18. Yeah. You know, it was a different time. <laughs> I'm not even going to use that <laughs> as an excuse. I'm just going to say, you know, you're not you're not always making the best decisions when you're young. Sure. And so, you know, I come out doing that, and that, and I won Queensland. Hey, 2004, I won my heat, yeah. and I won the semi. Then I then I come second in the, in the state final, and I get taken to the national final. And you know, there's some comedians at the national final who are a little bit more. You know, skilled, yeah, more mature, not doing smarter, as, not as much ethnic general humour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, racist joking. Yeah. Nick Sun was in uh, that final Melbourne Town Hall. Um, anyways, he goes on. The crowd is insanely loving him. Yeah, absolutely tears the roof off the place. I go on a little bit later on, come out ripping in with my old, you know, I'm black this and. I got an Asian penis, this and blah blah blah. Terrible, terrible, all all terrible yeah. jokes. And then, no, absolutely nothing. Donuts. And I think, and I, and I just can't believe that I bombed so hard. Yeah. And then I go home, and about three months later, I get a um, video footage of the gig. Right, first person up on the video is Nick Sun, and I finally get to see his set that I didn't get to watch all those times. Yeah. He walks out. He's like. Yeah, so I'm Asian. Um, let's just rip straight into all these stereotypical 
stupid jokes. Uh, Asian, I eat dog, I got a small dick, yada, yada. And people are losing their shit. Yeah. He's, he's completely, completely mocked my entire yep. shtick. Just ripped the rug out. <laughs> exactly. And, I, and I've melted in my... And, I, and that was when I realised, oh, God, I've got to... I gotta really step up, yeah. you know. So, and, and I've, I do, I've always got to listen to people on the bill before <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah. So, you know, I do apologise if you're listening. Anyone's listening who's offended by my bad jokes, I know that they were inappropriate. You got to grow as a comic, and that's just you know that was one of the things that makes you grow. Do you get discovered from that and invited onto the Jays or? God no, that then it was you know that was just the first of many many mistakes you know along <laughs> along the yeah, way. Yeah. I. Moved down to Sydney about a year after that, and I got a little bit ahead of myself. Um, I won a competition to go on Rove, Rove Live, and that sort of kick-started this idea that a lot of comedians have, and especially when they're in that two- or three-year mark where they just think that the world is owed to them because they've gone and done a handful of open mics yep. for the last year or two. They suddenly think that they are deserved of the world. And it's, it's, a real, it's a real problem that anyone in the arts has where they think they deserve to be on top before they've done the work, yep. you know. You know, you, it happens as a drama school graduate as well. You know, people graduate from drama school, and if they're not a full blown superstar by the time you know after a year or two, yeah, they're 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 out. Yeah, you know, screw the screw the industry. Oh, the industry's rigged. Yeah, no one cares about me. And it's like I'm just too talented. Yeah, That's yeah, the you problem. know, oh, yeah, it's, oh, it's all. Oh, now now they're just casting all these. Oh, yeah, I'm not brown enough now. That's something yeah. that people say now. You know, or like, oh, yeah, they're only just doing ethnic stuff now. Or, or you know, oh, it's all about looks and all that sort of stuff. It's like, you know, but no one, you don't graduate from law school and and assume you're going to be partner. Yeah. Of the big firm yeah. straight away. But they act- put someone act- else on the high court. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's going on? You know what I mean? But actors, because it happens to one or two people, they think they're deserving of that, these huge roles. And the same way with comedians, you know, it's like as soon as you do, you know, they, oh, i got 20 minutes of material. Yeah. Oh, i got, I got, I got an hour of, of gold, mate. No, you don't. Yeah. you got, you got an hour of straw that on the right day, if looked at under the under the right light, <laughs> you can pass off. You can rumple stilt skin into gold, but mm-hmm. it's not gold, you know. And even so, even earlier in the stand-up career, there's that there's that big moment. If you get out there and you've got a couple of jokes that really work and you're doing open mics and you're probably doing like a five to seven-minute set. Yes. And there's a lot of people who get to the point who can do five to seven minutes of stuff that's actually pretty funny. Yeah. Sits together really well. To have the courage to then go away, bin that, walk out on stage with something completely new. Dude. Knowing I've got, I've just, I've thrown away the parachute that I know yeah. would, would have really worked nicely here <laughs> at the Harold Park Hotel yeah. on a Tuesday at 8.30 and I'm going to try. And a lot of people, I, I remember doing, I dabbled in a little bit of stand-up before I did other stuff and I saw some people across the course of four years. Dude. Whose who's five minutes didn't change because they were terrified to let it go. That was me, but for 20 minutes. You know, I had 20 yeah. minutes and I had a decent 20 minutes. I was making, you know, a little bit of money every gig. You get, you know, 100 bucks or $150 or whatever for your 20-minute gig. Couple dinner thrown yeah, in now and, and then. Yeah, and like, you know, and that was just what I did for four years, kind of sitting there going, oh, you know, when will they discover me? And thinking that was enough, you mm. know, that there's going to be some producer sitting in the Oatley Hotel um, you know, <laughs> and somehow hear you over the, the jingle of the pokies yeah. going off and suddenly yeah. think, oh, we've found the next, you know, yeah. big thing. Yeah, because few, because I, I had that pitching meeting at Netflix tomorrow <laughs> and I had nothing. Yeah, exactly. But little Irish Matt <laughs> O'Kiney might just get me exactly, out of jail. Exactly, right? So, like, yeah, you just you just don't understand how, how it all works. You forget that it is a business and you've really got to present yourself with actual, a viable mm. mode for people to earn off you and for you to earn and everything. And give, give people some insight into the process. So if you're on stage and you do a, a killer joke that starts with an everyday observation, right? Now, I, I was down at Bunnings the other day and dot, yeah. dot, dot. Question number one, were you really down at Bunnings or was it equally likely to be someone else told you about a time at Bunnings or you've completely made it up? Were, were you the person at Bunnings? Um I had a fridge with the um, my fridge light stopped working for a solid six years, so I am never the person down at Bunnings. <laughs> I am not. I don't know how to do anything. Okay, that yeah. aside. That aside. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yes, I, it will always be me uh, down in Bunnings. I, I try to do it. Occasionally you do uh, rehash a story your friends told you, yeah. but it is always an authentic thing. I get stuck in a trap where I don't like I don't like lying to the audience that much. Yeah. Um, so you embellish, but I don't really like pretending that I did something when I didn't. Question number two. When you say the other day, on the weekend I was down at Bunnings, mm-hmm. if you're cracking that joke on a Thursday, it wasn't really last weekend. Yeah. How, how long ago were you at Bunnings? How long does Honestly, it Honestly, ta- I have ripped out some 10-year-old jokes recently and I'm like, <laughs> they're like some of them are like a good wine. Yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? You sure. shelve them for a little bit sure. then you pop the lid on them and you're like, you know what, this but, still tastes delicious. But from when the incident happens at Bunnings, how long might it take before you've actually got a joke that works about that? Oh, okay, so if you want to craft a brand new hour of stand-up, it will usually take you six months of developing the actual joke uh, and then six months of perfecting that joke. So when I say I was at Bunnings on the weekend, I was at Bunnings a year ago. If it's funny, I was at Bunnings a year ago. If it's not funny, I was at Bunnings on the weekend. Okay, that's how that works. <laughs> so you can sort of carbon date the joke. Yeah, exactly. You can carbon date the incident. By how funny, funny the joke... Yeah, exactly. So the amount of laughter in the audience <laughs> is the amount of the isotope carbon-14, <laughs> and we back that and go, oh, I think that happened about three months ago. Yeah, exactly. If there's a titter, yeah, that was a week ago, you know, full standing applause. I can safely say I went to Bunnings on its opening weekend. <laughs> and if, but if, when you talk about refining a gag, so from the first instance, the first thing you scribble on a bit of paper or actually tell in front of a live crowd... To when you've got it perfect, is it normally? Is it changing wording? Is it tone? Is it speed? How does a, a gag evolve? Okay, so if I'm going to break down one of my gags, which I did years ago, it's like a if it was on a set list, it'd be called Fisherman's Basket, right? Okay. This would be what it would be. The way that I looked at it is that I've always I wanted to be slightly controversial by saying that I would actually like to try eating whale meat, mm-hmm. right? I would just like to try it. I'm not saying I want to go out and kill the whales sure. until they're extinct. I'm just saying if a whale beached itself on my fry pan, okay. I would I would have a nibble. Sure, that's what I say. That's literally sure. that's literally the very first line of the joke that yeah. I wrote. You know, then I then I look at it and think, okay, how am I going to make fun that funny? Because people don't like the idea of you eating whale. Yep. You know, generally audiences aren't going to like it. A lot of people will be on my side, but they're not going to want to talk about it. They they might get angry. You don't want to piss people off. So. Then I, then I started looking at what is funny around whales and I was Googling whales and I saw that some whales eat giant squid, right? Yep. So then I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. I sat there on my bed for ages thinking, oh, how is that funny? How is that funny? And then I was like, oh, imagine if you did eat a whale and, but you cut it open and then there was a giant squid in there as well. And then I was like, oh, talk about a fisherman's basket, right? That idea is funny. Then, because I tried that at an open mic, I just said literally those things. I'd like to try whales. By the way, do you know that whales eat massive squid? And imagine if you caught one and cut it open. Oh, wow, that's a fisherman's basket. And it got a laugh. So I thought, okay, well, that's actually funny. And the end, the premise is funny. The end is funny. So now we're just going to expand on exactly how you get to that situation because people are still not happy that you're eating whales, yep. right? <laughs> so then I had to think, why would it be good to eat whales? Right, so then you look at the actual bad things that whales do, and I sort of then started, you know, joking around about how we assume that whales are by nature very good, but they're not. They could be killer whales. They could be <laughs> whales that, and I don't mean the type of whale. I mean murderish whale. Like we we always assume that they're just pleasant, but they're sure. all, they could be terrible. Good whales and, you and bad whales. Yeah, yeah, and you see a whale beached itself, and you think, oh, that poor whale. That whale. No, not poor whale. That whale could have killed its whole family yeah. and has now been sentenced to doom, death on the on okay. the shores. And here are, you know, Angus and Julia Stone pushing him back in again. Right. It's like <laughs> I'm friends with Julia Stone now, so yeah. it's okay, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that so then it turns into so, you know, we don't know that all whales are good, some whales are bad, right? So um, we need to look at some terrible whales, you know, who have killed you know, committed whale genocide or whatever, yep. for all we know, I would happily eat one of those whales. I think we could all agree mm. that I would eat the murderer whale if we found it, right? So then you sort of say, oh, not all whales are simply good. I would eat that bad one. But then you still want to be on side with the people who do like whales. So you can say, but the reason why we also need to save the whales is because they're the only thing to get rid of 14-metre-long squid. 
and nothing ruins a day at the beach like a 14 meter long squid you know that's 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 not a shark you can't punch a squid in the nose that thing has 10 arms yep. all right it will pin you down punch you in the face jerk you off and still have enough hands to play two good games at uno there you go right <clears throat> so that's that sort of line that you build in there to then bring you back on side with people who do like whales then you, then i sort of said um, but imagine if you did catch a whale and you know your dad caught a whale and he brought it home for you to eat and he cut it open and there's a giant squid in it as well um, you'd be like hell yeah that's fisherman's basket so that's the punchline. Then I had to set up an establishing thing that linked fishermen's baskets to the very beginning of the joke. So the beginning of the joke actually starts with, I like Japanese seafood. They do it raw. It's nice. It's fresh. It's light. They eat whale in Japan. I'm not saying that I agree with it. I'm just saying, give me a little bit. right? And I'm just saying, you know, I like compared to Australian seafood where we get like, you know, you go to a fish and chip shop and you might order like the fisherman's basket and it comes out and it's like a cube of battered fish and three crumbed prawns and you just look at it like man what a shit fisherman do you know what i mean like this guy <laughs> didn't even use a rod right so from that point on you've actually set up the the full joke that you know you're going to come back to and that's sort of the evolution of how a joke like that starts so I'm sorry if that took, took too long. It was like but, watching Leonardo <laughs> paint the Mona Lisa. But that is how it happens. So, you know, yeah. So if you walk into Bunnings and you see something funny, <laughs> you got a lot of work to do to get to, you know. Yeah, and you know what? You know what I'd probably do? I'd probably figure out what's happening at home for me to need to go to Bunnings. What can I talk about yeah. there? How can I link that all up? And what's happening at home where I can see someone at Bunnings wearing a cactus as a headphone and think, Oh my God, I'm supposed to be here, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That would be how I'd construct that. Actually, joke. it's like watching Arn Doe paint the Mona Lisa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, I'll take it. You'll watch a comedian, you'll just think, wow, just ridiculously funny things happen in this person's life all the time. But if you were in random listener to the big questions right now shoes for a month, things happen in their life that would make comic gold, wouldn't they? It's just your ability to spot it and see it and, yeah. and, and make something. Do you look at the world in a in a different way because of that? Yeah, and, and you know, you, you focus on the smaller things, the better. So I've got a notepad on my phone in which, you know, there are certain things that are funny that require, that deserve the attention in different parts of my repertoire, I'll say. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got a book right now. Um, and I'm writing a TV show. I've just written a TV show. I was writing those at the same time. Plus you're writing a stand-up show. Plus you go do radio interviews. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> or you're hosting a radio show, which was, you know, has also happened. So you've got, for me, I've got f at least three different brackets in which I look at where the, com where the comedy should sit and where it's worth talking about. So A, that's potentially funny. B, where would it work best yep. in my repertoire? So yeah. the T my if, portfolio. So, so does does that does what happened look funny? And if it looks funny, then that deserves a spot in the TV show set of notes. You know? Because if I walked into Bunnings and there was a guy wearing a pot plant on his head, but he'd yeah. forgotten to take the cactus out of it and now he's, you know, or something and he's got yeah. he's wearing a cactus for he yeah. headphones or something, then I go Needs a bit of work, but I saw what you're saying, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was in Bunnings this morning. Yeah. Uh, that's when I saw it. <laughs> so that's when I think, okay, well that looks funny and that deserves placement in the TV show. Yeah. I can double all of these up, I can triple all of these up, I can do them in all three yeah. areas, it's fine. But if it looks funny it deserves a spot on the TV show. If um, it if if there's a premise where that there is a sort of a punchline in there that I feel like I can massage out, then it goes in the stand-up world. If it is just something that I have observed, right, with no anything to turn into an actual joke, but it's something that stands out, then it goes into the radio seg the radio bracket, and in which case you let the audience finish the joke for you. So I walk into a Bunnings, I think, gee, that looks funny, guy wearing a cactus's headphones. Mm. Um, I think I'm going to put that in to the stand-up, I mean the TV show. If I think why, why is he wearing a cactus for headphones and I can break down a joke like that, like, oh, maybe he's, uh, his ears are a bit prickly or something. Mm. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I'm just trying to think of yeah, whatever yeah. on the spot. If I don't want to, if I think it's not enough, but there's certainly something there, then I go onto radio and I say, when have you seen someone wearing something on their head? Give us a call. Yeah. And then the audience, and, and when I started Triple J, the boss of Triple J, or um, Ollie Ward said, 
you'll never be as funny as the audience. Yep. As I'm sure you're more than oh, well aware. Yeah. And so often when you, you know, and, and really when you're doing radio every single morning, you can't come up with content every single day. So you just give them the idea and let them finish it off. I'll tell you the fa- my, the, my favourite ever call we had on Triple J. Yeah. And we'd done a talk back. I can't even remember what the question was. And someone's lobbed in near the end. A guy from Launceston has lobbed in near the end and tried to crack a joke. And it hasn't worked. Yeah. And he's apologised. And we've gone, that's fine. And off we go and we play a song. During the song, this girl from Hobart rings in. And, you know, Sally from Hobart here, look, on behalf of Tasmania, just want to apologise for that guy from Launceston. <laughs> we put up with it all the time, blah, blah, blah. That's going all right. During the next song, and you could not script this, this girl from Devonport rings in and says, I just want to say, in defence of the guy from Launceston, to the girl from Hobart, you can take your fancy pants, big city attitude <laughs> and go and get stuffed. And the idea, because everywhere there's there's geography and we all laugh at this town and there's a pecking order, everyone in Australia laughingly puts the boot into Tasmania. Yeah. Turns out in Tasmania there's a food chain. Uh-huh. If you're from Hobart, you laugh at Devonport and Launceston. If you're from Devonport and Launceston, those fancy pants, big city attitudes can go. And I just thought that was so... Just gorgeous. Yeah, I, I love that breakdown of comedy because I remember thinking one day, you know, every city does make fun of another city. Everest, you know, puts a boot in somewhere. So somewhere in Devonport, Devonport's got another little town yep. that they make fun of, right? Probably Bernie. Yep. You know? Then Bernie yep. has probably got a side of Bernie. Yep. You know, the good side, the bad side. And on the bad side of Bernie, <clears throat> there's probably a street that, that sucks more than any other street. Yep. And then on that street, there's probably, you know, the north-facing street, yep. side of the street, the south-facing And so there's one house somewhere <laughs> in Australia that and is the- actually the shit. <laughs> but within that house, that downstairs room's all right. You can see, yeah. you, you can see the backyard. Upstairs on the left. Oh, Somewhere, someone is sitting in the worst part of Australia. But isn't it also true that stand-ups, if you're on tour, if you're doing a road show and you've got material that works in a particular, you, you'll go in the night before, you'll go into the pub and say, mate, can you just quickly tell me, what's, what's, what's the really fancy private school around yeah. here where all the wankers go? What's, no, what's the name of the really cheap restaurant in town here? And you'll get up and go, blah, 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 at the Golden Walk. <laughs> and I'll be going, oh, 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 how did he know about Thursday nights at the Golden yeah. Walk? <laughs> You eventually, the Jay's highly successful time, you make the call to tap out. Yeah. Is there just one day where you wake up and go, I'm just not into this anymore? Or did you have an exit plan? Or did were you pushed? Or No, no, no. There was no there was definitely no pushing. Alex and I there was a big drive to stop when we were ahead, you know? And yep. and we were we were all having fun. We really, we really, really loved it. Um one thing, you know, was I was getting older and you know, you know, and you can't talk about um, <clears throat> you can't talk about Street Fighter 2. You can yep. you know, hey, can you stop talking about going bald? Yep. Because 18-year-old <laughs> kids yep. don't want to talk about that. Jokes you know? about interest rates. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just not cutting it through. Yeah, you what do you think the Reserve Bank's going to do today? Being a landlord if you are on Triple J, mate. <laughs> you are the enemy yeah, if that's the yeah, case. Yeah. So, yeah, there was that. Um, there was the fact that we were that that the show was well received and people really liked it. Mm. And there's just no need to start on the downward trajectory. You know, there's no need to start failing if everything's going well. Um, and the other one was that, you know, every year we'd have the best year, but the tri- Triple J is is um, set up to have you know, and all radio stations like this, they have similar events every single year as you go along. Yeah. And you just, you end up having, you know, oh, January is hottest 100 month and then uh, February is this and then, you know, July is splendor. And, and you just, as, as the sort of voice of all those events, it started to get to a stage where when you start being able to predict what you're going to say and yeah. how you're going to say mm. it, then you just start going, oh, I don't want to just, I don't want to go into autopilot. I want to mm. keep making sure that, I'm, you know, things feel fresh and everything. And so it's time to sort of pass it on anyway. I had a feeling there's something about breakfast radio. It's it's tremendous fun. It's physically pretty full on. Oh, yeah. And also it, to sleep again is amazing. Like, and, and, there's oh. that, and there's something about that you, 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 you could go on for another year, but if you stayed one year too long in breakfast radio, I could imagine 
you'd end up hating the last six months so much. Yeah. You'd forget how much you'd love the three or five or seven years that led up to that. Totally. And it does pl- it does weigh on your health, I find, the breakfast radio thing, because you, um, you're you up at four every morning, 4.20, um, and then you, you know, you're in the office at five and you don't see, then you go home at two or one in the Arvo or whatever and you sleep until six and you don't, you haven't had a, a single ounce of sunlight on your skin yeah. for the, you know, a whole week or one month or whatever. Mm. So, and you, you end up because you're working in so two So then different- you're not brown enough <clears throat> to get into the next TV no, show. No, no, and, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> to make all these brown jokes yeah. that I make on stage, you know, about my ethnicity. Um, and, um... Yeah, the cycle of that can actually can really yeah, wear you down. I to actually sleep start and... looking Irish. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, yeah. I don't know if that's appropriate either. But um, but what is Irish? I mean, what what, 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 yeah. what is Irish look? What is you know? It could be any any. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, anyway, so you get sick. You're breaking your your life up into two days per day because <laughs> if I'm doing stand up, uh, you know, there's there's a time you do Melbourne Comedy Festival. You wake up, you do the radio show, you go home at midday, you sleep for two hours, and you get up and you go and do your comedy show at night. Then you go home and you sleep for five hours, and you do the radio show, and that's just how it works. Yeah. And by the end, you just end up you run down. You're getting colds every or you know flu colds every. Uh, two, three weeks, and it just happens to cycle again and again. After the jazz, I took a year off, then I did a year on a, a Sydney breakfast radio station, also yes. a grown-up station. I, got, I was getting up at 20 past three in the morning yeah. to do that. And I remember being at a charity function, and Ian Thorpe, the Australian swimmer, was there, and uh, he was talking about, and we were talking about, the, the swimming lifestyle is similar up very early, but swimmers are renowned for working out to the minute. What is the latest I can get up? <laughs> Roll if I sleep in my swimmers, roll out of bed, <laughs> pull on a tracksuit, eat a muesli bar in the car, and I can flop in the pool at five a.m. or whatever. And so when we were talking, and Thorpe used to get up at literally at four, I think it was four twenty-eight or something, but not four twenty-five or four thirty, four twenty-eight. Yeah, and he'd still make it. And he said, "What time do you get up?" And I said, "Oh, three. And I was on the way to saying three twenty. And as I said the three, he just went, "Oh, that's solid." <laughs> and I walked, walked around all night at this function thinking. Thorpey thinks I'm solid. <laughs> I am solid. solid. I bet they got you up every now and then. Oh, like at 3 a.m. when the alarm goes off, you're like... At 2.58 for a while to think I bumped into him again. <laughs> it's just extra hard. When you were at the Jays, the decision was made around the hottest 100 or the conversation started. Were you there when the date did change? Or? I wasn't there when the date changed, but I was there when all that First stuff went floated. down. Was that a was that an important discussion to have? Was it a storm in a teacup? Was it people looking for a culture war to fight? Or? Oh, I mean, I even feel iffy about talking about it now. Yeah. Because it really um, divided a lot of the station, and, yeah. you know. Um, and there were people... You know, there were people who didn't want to ch- change it because, not necessarily because they didn't agree with why it should be changed. It was a, a, a lot to do with um, not oh, not necessarily conforming to pressure. You know that uh, that that the Triple J gets is under scrutiny all the time. Yeah. You know, so so to actually have to you know to actually change. It really has to be for the right reason, which is mm. why it took two years to do it because, you know, suddenly we're having this conversation, should we change it, should we not? And everyone's in this room and people are fighting with each other and, you know, yelling. And like, I mean, I remember one big station meeting and it was like, this was a big, big thing. You know, it was people, odd. <clears throat> people were, were, were angry, you know. And, and yeah, and it's, and it's it, you know, they, they're constantly under pressure to change. Triple J is always under yeah. pressure. So there was just that reluctance to just change on a whim without at least breaking it all down first and figuring out, is this actually the right thing to do? Yeah. I've since heard, you know, f- from when that change started, because that was the very birth of it, you know. Um, <clears throat> and as a presenter, this is what, I, this is what I'll say. As, as anyone who, if anyone wants to make a change, every little bit of momentum makes a difference because... It's very easy to throw an idea out there, which the idea always was, hey, we should change the Hottest 100. But gradually as the momentum started, we as the presenters started personally being approached by people, you know, in our DMs, on Twitter, on Instagram, all this sort of stuff. Listeners, artists, everything saying, you know, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? If it's not, if it wasn't me personally, it's very easy as Triple J to ignore it. But suddenly when the presenters start coming under fire and, and it's like, you know, do, do I, as Matt O'Kine, 
not care about Indigenous politics in this country and, you know, what, what that day means and all that sort of stuff, of course. So if someone's saying, are you going to do something about this? Are you personally going to do something about this? Suddenly I have to then bring it up to mm. my bosses, which, which is what happens, you know. I'm not saying I was the only person who did it. But everyone gradually, you know, there would be mornings where Alex and I would sit in this, that studio and talk about it and go, you know, what should we do about this? Because it's people are messaging, people are texting, people are twittering, you know, and you know what do we do? Then eventually, you 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 do talk, bring it to their to the to the, to the boss's attention, and they've you know they already know because there's other people who are getting their attention. There's other channels, and yeah. that constant power, like that voice, that push, just chipping away, chipping it turns away. into something, you know. And so there were. You know, then then suddenly enough people mention it to, you know, the boss to then sit down in the room with the, the staff meeting and say, guys, what does everyone think about this? Then that's when, you know, the big argument happens because people, I don't know, that's just, I mean, that's what that's what the point of a forum, you know, people to have arguments and discussions and see what the ups and downsides are. I think it's really illustrative <laughs> for people to hear that even at a place like Triple J, where some people would assume... Well, there's a certain group thing such as that. The moment anyone suggested that, would have just been ticked off because that's the way they all think we move on. The fact that even at Triple J, that requires a nuanced discussion and people to respectfully hear both sides and see if they can, you know, if arguments can bring each other around. I think it's quite any quite because often when we deal with these big issues, people think, well, look, just go, go and find an Aboriginal and ask them what Aboriginals think about this, and the feedback is constantly. I, the Indigenous voices can can have a remarkable range of opinions on a particular topic mm-hmm. because there's so many different groups and tribes and, and, and ways of thinking within Indigenous Australia. So to even, even if a place like Triple J can require a nuanced debate around an issue like that, it's probably illustrative to all of us that it's, uh, you know, just splitting down the line and going, are you with it or against it? Come on, now, tell me, tell me. Yeah. Is not a way to solve big problems in general, is it? No. And then and then shout-outs to the people who were part of that decision-making process because it could also then be simple to just say, oh, well, a certain percent of people within this workplace agree with it or don't agree with it or blah, 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 and then that's the decision made. But then, you know, they did go and ask um, a, like members of the indigenous various indigenous communities, whether they worked on advisory boards within the ABC, whether they were musicians, whether they were people within the the you know the greater community of say Sydney, where the where the ABC offices are. I mean, they they didn't make a decision lightly. They didn't make it without consultation. They didn't um, disregard the people who didn't agree with it and, you know, they, they, they still have, you know, you still have to listen and weigh up all mm. those things. And it was it was a real process. I mean, if you ask Ollie Wards, who's, you know, um, who's, I think, I don't, um, he's, who's away at the moment yeah. from Triple J, I don't know um, um, what he's, you know, when he's coming back or anything, but um, but he, it, it, that was a tough time for him, yeah. you know, and I'm a friend of his and, and, and we, had, we spent a lot of, of nights Talking about what was going to happen and and um, and how to how to make the announcement, how to get the feedback. Mm. I mean, it 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 nothing like that decision was made was made lightly at all. And and even when it was made, then that was the start of the of so the whole situation. Work, I mean, yeah. I can't go into the full details of what of how they finally got it over the line um, because it's not my story to tell. Yeah. Um, and some of it has been told in the news and stuff like that. But, you know, there was there was very much a unity within Triple J that required that that decision as a as you know, as a station, as a as a national icon mm. that it is, to band together and stick by all the reasons why that station has been so successful and loved by the rest of Australia. Fascinating insight. Let's change the gear up for a second as we wrap it up. Your TV show. Yes. Very, very successful. Went, well, went all right. It, it, hey, look, you it sold overseas very, and stuff. Yeah. I'm excited by that. We're doing second season now. Um, and, I mean, that that's such a different world to, to radio, you know what I mean? Because... Uh, where'd you get... Where'd you, so the, the concept, the show, where, the, the, the title, I mean, the title's apparent, but where... Did, the, so idea, the show's called The Other Guy. Yeah, does that come to you instantly and do you build from there? Do you, do you have the structure of the show? 
Because the name is so important in something like that. Did you make that decision personally? Is is there a committee feeding in? Yeah, the, the TV, there's a lot more decision makers yeah. involved than radio because that, that thing's going to last forever. In radio, you say something on air and then you mm. play a song and yeah. you know everyone's forgotten it. TV's around for a long time and so, um, you know, I had the stand-up show The Other Guy that people had seen uh, that had won um, an award in Melbourne, Director's Choice Award, had sold out all the shows there. It was a popular show. Um, quite a heavy topic about um, a situation that had happened with me where I found out my partner was cheating on me with my best friend and we were all living together and it was all, you know, messy. It's mm. a classic kind of 20s, 30s-year-old, yeah. messy relationships. This is you what happens to You walked in on her at Bunnings, didn't you? You were down, <laughs> at, you're down at Bunnings. Yeah, the cactus is on the head. That's not, and who's that? <laughs> um, So, you know, we adapted the show very loosely from that stand-up show but really turned it into something that wasn't I mean yeah there was there's essences of it that were in you know based in real life but really it's it's its own show with its own characters and stuff like that um it wasn't an easy show to make um and you know from from making it from the title down to writing it all it's it's when you when you undertake your own shows like that, when you create things, you just it's really you just dwell on it so much. You, mm. There's no t- chance that you can just turn off from it, and it really can get you down, you know. And I, and I think making that show for the that first season almost kind of put me at breaking point, um, just by the fatigue that you get from yeah. doing a project like that, and the subject matter, and the you know, uh, am I pissing people off in my life, you know, and and and. Are we all going to agree on these on the way to tell the story and all this sort of stuff? Sex scenes are they fun? <laughs> Sex scenes, a little little um, beige cock sock on. Um... <laughs> oh man, I'll be happy if I don't ever have to see one of those things again. <laughs> eh? Little, I mean, they don't even match my skin tone. Like, I mean, give me a brown one at least, <laughs> chocolate coloured or something. That look like a little piece of top deck. Anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> the interview's come full circle. Oh, dude. I, st- <laughs> I tell you what, whoever made the the those socks on um, season two of The Other Guy, shout out to my incredi- the incredible costume department, Rita Carmody, um, they made it with a lot of extra real estate. <laughs> that could have halved that thing. I had to fold it in half and, you know, staple it. Final question. So a, a lot of your stuff, a common theme here is with the TV show based on, you know, traumatic breakup in your life, the book, you know, revisiting your mum's death at the age of 12, a lot of your stand-up. As, as someone whose job constantly involves just rawly putting yourself out there, mm. I mean, what's that like? You have fans who know much more about you and your life than most people's reasonably close friends might know about them. Is there a certain mind, do you just get used to it after a while or is there a certain mindset you have to have to be able to make your life a public display for your art? Yeah, and I mean, it's a battle that I have with myself quite often. One, I do it to ensure that what I'm talking about is an honest and real portrayal of whatever is going on. Um, Nothing is more frustrating than watching someone tell a story or do something that they haven't, they don't actually understand the reality behind that situation. Um, so in a way, I cut corners, you know, I, I, I take shortcuts in that I don't have to worry about researching and this is all, oh, this yeah. is how people react if this happens. I, I, I go, no, I know how people react. I know what the actual reality is. The other thing is I, I, I find it kind of important because I feel like we have a lot of shame that as humans we we... we carry a lot of shame about no matter so many facets of our life we feel embarrassed about or we we feel um, this sort of shame about. And um, I guess I just try to make sure that I am talking about those things so that people understand that there's that they don't need to feel shame or embarrassed mm. or whatever about those certain things. I mean, and whenever I'm writing something, <clears throat> and I think, oh, do I really want to be telling people about this? That's when I go, oh, good. All right, let's go. Hey. Go on, do it. <clears throat> because it's, you know, it's almost a challenge to myself mm. where um, it's like well, if you're feeling that, then that means that people are going to connect with it because they probably feel that too. And those are the things that need to be talked about in this world more, I think. And like with Ricky Gervais's recent, you know, masterpiece, Afterlife, if you can find in human experience and potentially sad moments, 
if you can still find in that a reason to smile or for people to look at moments of suffering and even there see that, you know, funniness and happiness can be found even sometimes in dark moments. There's something really empowering about that, I think, for the audience as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nothing is ever black and white when it comes to our emotions and, and it, you know, you, you're always a, like a second, there's a, there's a, a, a hairline difference between um, laughing and crying. Do you know what I mean? And, and, it's, and it's like you just, you can go at either, you can do either one at any time based on the way you decide to look at the situation. So my, my girlfriend, closest friend in the world, uh, you know, a few months ago, probably about a year ago now, and we, we'd had a bit of a sort of argument about something and she was pretty, she was going through a tough time and a little bit distraught about something and I threw in a little one-liner and she started literally laughing and crying at the same time. <laughs> we called it crafting, and I've never seen anyone do it. And she's literally going, there's tears coming down her face. So she goes, <laughs> I don't know what I'm feeling. <laughs> and the laughter was pushing the tears out faster and the tears, yeah. I know, it was a, just this incredible emotional state. Well, I mean, it's and it's frustrating when you when you are creating things, um, you know, that, that do ride that, straddle that line because... You know, we made the season one of the season one of the other guy, and and um, people are you know you get reviews and they're like, what is this? It's supposed to be is it supposed to be a drama? Is it supposed to be a comedy? Or what? What, what is this? And you're sort of like, why don't you just watch it yeah. and see how you feel? And if you like it, watch the X Net. But if you don't, yeah. Don't. And if you don't, but don't. I, I it really it frustrates me when I when you have to, you know, as an audience member, I don't I don't want to tell you what. Oh, this is funny now. You know, oh, you have to be laughing at this. You have to be crying. Mm. This. But it's like just go with the flow. And feel the things that you feel as you're watching it. And if yeah, if you like it, then keep watching. If you don't, then just turn it off. Oh, that could be your life in a nutshell, mate. Go with the flow and feel the things that you're feeling. The role that you play, amusing people, making them think, being the jester, being the clown, sometimes provoking a bit of thought, such a crucial role for us all. And we're loving watching you on the journey. Best of luck with season two of The Other Guy. Thank you very much. And what yeah. a what an honour it is to be on this podcast with you. I used to listen to you on Triple J Back in the every day. morning yeah. and then and then with my dad on those days when I was driving to school after my mum had died and stuff. And now, you know, then I got to do your job at Triple J and now we're in this room together. It's been a real pleasure. You, to were, be. hearing, you were hearing me doing wonky eye gags going, <laughs> I could do some pretty funny gags about my wang. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Matt from County O'Kine. It's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. <laughs> Thanks very much, Adam. This episode of The Big Questions, as always, was produced and edited by Alex Mitchell in the Podcast One Studios. Series producer Caroline Pegram and the theme music provided by the good people at Uncanny Valley. If you want to hear more Big Questions answered, go to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app or look us up on iTunes. I'm Adam Spencer. I'll be back with some more Big Questions soon. Big Questions. Questions.